Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're so excited that you're here with us. We're in our relationship series. And um, how many of you enjoyed our relationship series so far? It's been good. You've been I believe God is speaking to us and continues to point our hearts in that direction. The, the first week you heard Pastor Jacob begin to say the first things are first. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with God, none of this really matters. You can't fix your marriage. You can't fix your kids. None of that works without God being the, the point in the center. And so everything else after that stems after. And then the second week, last week, you heard him talk all about marriage he gave us 40-year biblical wisdom on how to have a healthy, happy, and sustaining marriage. Go back and listen to that. It has been amazing. But this morning, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have had a turning point in your life where you can probably mark the amount of those turning points on your fingers, how few they are, where someone has helped you either out of or into a tough situation. You know it was a turning point in your life. Everybody has that, right? And it always involved people, right? You ever notice the turning points in our life? We're never alone. We're never alone. I, I remember a turning point for me in my life in 2003 I was entering my sophomore year of college at Georgia Tech playing football there. It was a great time. And I was new into my faith, a brand new Christian. And you know, when you're a brand new baby Christian, you're, you're just like walking on eggshells. I just wanted to be a good person. I thought that was a Christian, right? Just be good enough. Don't talk badly. You know, say nice things, be nice to people. And that was what it meant to be a Christian. I was, I was the FCA president at our college and it was great. It was wonderful. I didn't know what I was doing. But I just started kind of going and walking in that direction. So people knew I was a Christian. And so on the field, though, it was really hard. I thought you had to turn off Christianity on the field and then turn it back on when I got off the, off the field, right? And so I was still mean and nasty on the field, but off I was like, amen, brother, amen, you know. And it was a little, I didn't understand what I was doing. And I remember one time, we, I got into a fight. Yes, me. Okay, I got into a fight at, on the field. And on the field, it's like your brothers. It's not like a big deal. You have a little scuffle. Okay, great. I was on defense. Guy hit me. I felt like it was dirty. I ended up going after him. And you know that time where you're trying to be good and then everything bad just comes vomiting out of you at once? Okay, am I the only one in here? Okay, I didn't think so. Some of y'all did it right before you walked in, Okay. But everything just came out of you right then and there. And it came out of me. And every foul word you can speak of, I'm going at it, right? And I knew automatically I felt terrible about myself because I knew I shouldn't be speaking like that. And so part of it, I was already beating myself up, my hardest critic. And as I began to walk away, one of the running backs coach, he looked at me and he said, you call yourself a Christian? And for the next day and a half, every time I saw him, I would cringe because he would say something about me being a Christian and me talking like that, acting like that. You're FCA president? You think you can lead? And it felt like the enemy was just beating me down. It got to a point where it was so bad where I, I got into a really dark stage where I thought 
I'm just going to resign. I'm not going to do the FCA thing. I don't even know about faith. I don't want this anymore. But I'm so thankful. I had someone in my life. His name was Derek Moore. Derek Moore was a chaplain of our team. And he looked at me and he knew what I was going through. And, and I wanted to quit so badly. And here's what he said to me. He goes, I'm not going to let you quit. And he took me under his arms and he pulled me close and he showed me what it meant to be a man of God and to continue to walk when everybody feels like it's, he's beating you down in the enemy. And it was a turning point in my life that I needed people to pick me up when I have fallen down. And isn't that just the truth? We all need people to pick us up when we've fallen. And isn't it interesting that as we go in our relationship series, that people are the instrument that God still uses to help us, yet people are still the instrument the devil uses to hurt us. That the same help that can come is the same hurt that happens. We get hurt by people and God uses people to heal us. And it's so interesting to see that, that the daddy wound that you have or that you had is healed by a father figure in your life. It happens time and time and time again. It's the way that God designed it. Why, Pastor Chris? Because 2 Corinthians tells us this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Some versions say a clay pot. Why does it say that? Because the treasure that God has deposited in us is in brokenness. It's not just I'm broken, we all are broken. There's no clay pot here that is perfect. But the treasure inside of you, if you're a born-again Christian, is absolutely perfect. It's the glory of God. And so no matter how far we try to run from relationships, how many know we can't because the treasure that is stored in earthen vessels is the treasure that we need to continue to walk. It is how God designed it to be. Because people are still the means that God uses for his glory and for our benefit. That's why you'll always hear us say this. And you've heard it time and time again. The quality of your relationships will determine the quality of your life. I don't know anyone. I've been with, I've been with several people at the end of their life that are talking about their money, their cars, their clothes, their legacy, their inheritance. They're always talking about relationships. Is my son here with me? I wish I would have done this. I spent more time with them. I wish my wife, I wish I would have been better to my wife. It's all relationship based. So this morning, I want us to dive headfirst into something that we all need. And listen to me, will be a turning point in your life if you take it to heart. And it's this, it's to have biblical friendships. And you're going, oh, Pastor Chris, I got a lot of friends. <laughs> They're on my Facebook account. I got a lot of friends. They're Facebook friends, but they're friends. 700 of them, Facebook friends. You don't know none of them. Stop lying to yourself. But here's what it is. Proverbs 18, 24. The wisest man who ever lived besides Jesus said it this way. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Solomon was saying, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality of friends. Sociologists and scientists have discovered this, is that 
they've kind of marked the age 30 as a, as a transition or turning point in your relationships. Because they, they have seen that before the age of 30, 30 and younger, it's really marked by how many relationships you have, right? How many followers you have, how many friends you have, how many people are on your TikTok, page, whatever it is, right? It's all about the quantity. You look at our kids, everyone in their class is their best friends. It doesn't work like that. But there comes a point at the age of 30, they found out where quantity stops being important and quality starts taking over. Scientists have found out that the human mind, that the capacity of our minds can only carry five close relationships. So that includes family. So watch this. I have five kids. I have no friends at all now. I'm done. <laughs> Zero. Zero. For, I'm tapped out. If you want to be my friend, I'm sorry. I cannot be your friend. Okay. But think about that for a moment. Family and friends, which really many of us clear up three of those spots with family. And two of them, usually they say two to three, are close, close, close friends. So watch this. If only two to three can be friends, don't you want those friends to be biblical, God-believing, amazing friends? And watch this. Don't you want to be that biblical friend to somebody else? You see, that's, that's what we want. That's what we need and we desire. The quality of friend, not that just we have. Watch this. The quality of friend that you are. So the question is, what kind of friend are you? You go, I don't know. Is there a label, A, B, and C? Yes, I'm going to give it to you right now. And I want you to categorize yourself. It's okay. And it's okay to say, I'm not this, but I am this. There's three types of friends that I believe. Number one, it's the friend we'd like to be. What do I mean by that? You're like, yeah, I want to be that one, the friend we'd like to be. The, the, the good part about this friend is that they're thinking about what the other person would need. It's the golden rule, right? Do unto others how you would, you would have done unto you. The problem about this friend is that they care more about what they would want than what the other person needs. For instance, it's like having a friend who has a low point and you look over at me and you go, you know, if I were them, I would really want to hug right now. But you know that your friend hates hugs. <laughs> and so you go over and you hug them. You're not trying to be mean. You're trying to be supportive. The problem is you're caring more about what you would want than what they need. That's the friend that we'd like to be. And this is, a, this is not a bad thing. It's just not the best thing that we can be. The second type of friend, and this is probably the scariest one, is the friend others want us to be. The friend that others want us to be. This is dangerous because you end up crossing boundaries you never wanted to cross. You end up becoming someone you never wanted to become. You end up doing things you never wanted to do. You end up going places you never wanted to go. I see this friend a lot when it comes to recovering addicts. My father was one of them. And they would have friends that really genuinely wanted to be their friend. And, and so, but they become the friend that they wanted to be. And it enabled them in their addiction. It never helped them. It always hurt them. That's, that's a dangerous spot to be in. And the third way, the third friend is this, the friend God needs us to be. This is the friend that we all want to be. It's a friend who considers their friend's wants, but is committed to their needs. That hears what they want, 
but says, you know what? I'm committed to more of your needs than your wants. This is important as we look up friendships in our lives. But let's be honest this morning. This term friend, it's kind of very flippant in our culture, isn't it? I mean, I mean, take my kids, for instance, and if you have kids or grandkids, you'll, you'll realize this quickly. And I heard it even today as we walked out of kids' church. I walked out of kids' church with my kids, and there was a little friend next to him. And I say friend, even I use the word, right? The little, another child next to my child, and his dad walks up and is like, oh, son, is this one of your friends? And I'm thinking to myself, they literally just met an hour ago. They're not friends, all right? But we use that term to associate, watch this, similar interests and same proximity. So we think proximity and interests equal friends. That's not biblical friends. Well, what is that, Pastor Chris, then? Those aren't friends. Those are associates. What is the difference between an associate and a friend? I would say many of us here have many associates. People you go to work with, neighbors you wave to, but you're talking behind their back, right? It's like, it's one of, it's people you see on the, on the road, you see in the grocery store that you kind of know their name, but you don't really know them. What's the difference between an associate and a friend? This is gonna help you label all of your relationships right here. This is huge. Watch this. Friends get your life. Associate just gets your life resources. Friends get your life. Associates just get your life resources. What does that mean? That means when you go to work, I'm not saying you don't have any friends at work, but what I'm saying is most of them probably get your your time and your talent, but they don't get your life. They don't get your hurts, habits, and hangups. They don't get the loves and the interests that you have. You might spend a lot of time with people and those people, and that's great. And you might have some interest in them. It doesn't make them your friend. Well, then, Pastor Chris, what, what makes people our, our friends? What, what is a godly friend? Can I help you this morning? Can I help you? This is huge. Please don't miss this. Paul gives us really the litmus test for what is a friend right here. This is huge. You can mark it down. You can even say, I know if I have friends, or watch this, many of you in here, you know if you don't have friends. And that's a hard reality to swallow because some of y'all, we do need to throw away some friends that aren't healthy for us. And just go, hey, nothing wrong with y'all, but I'm going a different direction. Here's a godly friend. Paul tells us in Galatians 6, verse two, here's what he says. This is so good. Carry one another's burdens. Carry one another's burden. Paul is giving instructions for Christians of how to live, how to belong, and how to be friends with one another. And here's what he says. Carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. That is the, the, the law of Christian love. Paul is saying, listen to this. He's saying this is a command, not a request. It's not like, hey, um, if you have time, carry one another's burdens. He's talking to a small church of believers. And he says, I want you to understand, if you're not willing to carry one another's burdens, you're not willing to be friends then. If you don't have a friend that will carry and shoulder your burden, you don't really have friends then. On the flip side, is a hard truth. If you're not ready to carry someone else's burden, you're not ready to be a friend. 
That's so hard to swallow at times, isn't it? Because now we look and evaluate our friendships and we're going, do I even have any friends? Do I even have anyone in here that would really want to carry my burden? That I would want to shoulder their burden? And it doesn't say when you're convenient. It doesn't say when you want to. It just says carry it. Carry one another's burdens. I don't want to be a burden on my friends. Guess what? That's not a biblical friendship then. Well, they're going through so much. I don't want to dump my stuff on them. Then you're not being a biblical friend. This is what godly friendships look like. And if we only have a few, don't we want to make them quality relationships? This is huge. This is huge. Let me give you a better picture of it. We're going to look right now at a text in Exodus 17 here. A beautiful picture of what godly friendships are. Because I want to illustrate this. And I want to make sure we dive in to the text. And then we're going to close this morning. But it's found in Exodus 17 where the Israelites, God's people, are marching out of slavery and into the promised land. And Moses is their leader. And Joshua is like the general of the army. And so, but they still have to fight battles. To get into the promised land, you still have to fight battle. That's another sermon for another day. You still have to fight battles as you enter the promised land. And here's how it goes. Here's what kind of friends that Moses had in Exodus 17 in verse eight. It says this, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Now, I want to break this down in just a moment, but I want you to notice something before we move on. Do you notice that in this story, the narrative that the writer is coming from is from Moses' side on the mountain, not Joshua's side fighting in the, in the, in the valley. Why is that, Pastor? I believe it's because as born again children of God, we don't fight our battles in the valley by ourselves. We fight it on the mountaintop reaching up to God. That's always been our battles. That's always been where we go. That if you're a born again believer, we don't fight. And parents, listen to me, this is big. Because our mistakes are we get in the valley with our kids because we think they need us. They need you on the mountaintop. They need you reaching out to God on your knees and saying, this is how I'm going to fight my battle. That's what they, they need you stepping out for them. This is an example of how we need to be friends. God, have godly friends with one another. So what does it look like to be a godly friend? Let me give you three things and then we're going to close from this text. And the first thing is this, a godly friend, a friend walks with you. It's like, duh, pastor, duh. But this isn't just any walk. I didn't know how to describe this. This isn't any other walk. Because in the text, we see that, we see that Moses and Aaron and her, they didn't set a game plan. Moses went to Joshua and said, Joshua, you go that way out there and fight. I'm going to go up there. 
And then all of a sudden the text swings and says, Aaron and her just follow Moses up a hill. They didn't have a game plan. They didn't know what would happen on top of the mountain. They didn't know what they would have to do. They didn't know what they had to face. They didn't know what troubles and trials would come. They didn't know that Moses would get tired. They didn't know that Moses had to hold his hands up. I'm thinking they didn't know anything, yet they still followed him. How many times do we want to analyze every relationship and try to guess what will happen. And so we avoid things because they may be difficult. Or watch this. Because you've been hurt in the past. And look at me. I'm sorry you've been hurt. I'm sorry that friend in high school turned on you and took your boyfriend. I'm sorry that that friend that said they would be, for, be there for you never called you back. But if you walk into every relationship and friendship you have with hurts, wounds, looking over your shoulder, you'll never get to the mountaintop with anybody. You just won't. And watch this. You'll have paralysis through analysis. You'll have paralysis. You'll be thinking, I'm not going to go up over there. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to expect next. And you're going to overanalyze and sit there and you'll have no godly relationships. Watch this. You won't go to next steps. And when you go to next steps, you get to be a part of a family and join the church. But it's not just joining the church. It's serving. And when you serve, you get to meet godly people who aren't perfect people, but people running in the same direction as you. And when you do that, you get to interact with people. But if you analyze if there's paralysis it's always through analysis I don't want to I don't want to go this I don't want to do this I don't want to do that and you end up analyzing because you have been hurt coach Don Shula says it this way it's the start that stops most people it's the start that stops most people ah I'm not good enough ah I got enough friends I got a lot of Facebook friends. I don't need any more friends, right? Think about that. I don't need godly relationships. I don't need people in my life criticizing me, telling me what to do. Listen, I'm not asking you to be careless, but I am asking you to be bold and courageous. Because if you want those deep relationships, you gotta be willing to risk getting hurt. And it will happen. Why? Because we are treasure in earthen broken vessels, earthen vessels. We need people that will walk with us and in the uncertainty of walking with somebody, there always comes opportunity. Moses and, excuse me, Aaron and her are walking with Moses, not knowing where they're going. We're gonna go up to the mountain with you, man. Here we go. And they get up there and I'd be like, Moses was like cheering for the team right down in the thing. And he realized, wow, if I hold up my arms, they win. But if I don't, some of you guys think you can affect the Saints game by where you sit or what you eat. You can't. This is not a Moses time, okay? And you're there and Moses is there going, oh wait, we're winning. Oh, we're losing. We're winning. We're losing. And he figures it out. And he's like, oh, if I keep my arms up, I have to keep them up all day though. And so they're going, but he's getting tired. So, so Aaron and her go, well, why don't you sit down? This is better. So they pull up a rock. I assumed it was a rock. A rock. And they go, sit right here. And where there was uncertainty, they saw an opportunity to be the godly friend they needed to be. 
Because as Dr. Darius Daniels, a family member to this house, says this, biblical love is not affection, it's activity. Why would you say that, Pastor Chris? Because God, John 3.16 didn't say God so loved the world that he just loved the world. It said God so loved the world that he what? He sent his only son. So biblical love is not just affection, it's activity. And if we want to be the godly friend that we know we can be and that we need to be for other people, then it takes uncertainty, opportunity, and activity to begin to walk in faith by that. We got to walk with friends. A friend walks with us. The second thing is this, write this down. A friend lifts you in the heaviness of life. We could go around here all day today and everyone could tell the story. And I guarantee there's always something, there's a heaviness of life on you right now. Always, there's something going on. You, you might go, well, it's not heavier than this person. I didn't say that. All I said was, it's about the heaviness that's on you right now. But I wanna ask a question. And let's be honest this morning. How many of you have ever had a friend that at your, one of your low points, they wanted to offer advice and cures to fix the situation? Anybody had a friend like that? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, it's probably because you are that friend that offers advice, okay? But, but think about it. They're the people that go, and, and their heart is good, but their words are wrong. Here's what they say. I think God is trying to tell you something at this moment, right? You're like, I don't need to hear that. I need to hear you're my friend and I'm with you and I love you, right? You don't need to hear like God is speaking to you in this moment. You just need to open up your ears and listen, right? Or this one is really good. You just need to pray more. You know, it's like, yes, but is that really the right thing to say in that moment when the heaviness of life is crushing you? No. And honestly, if we look at the text, I, I don't believe that Aaron and her looked at Moses and go, man, you need to do more shoulder workouts to keep your arms up more. <laughs> I don't think they counseled his physical fitness and go like, Moses, why are you, that's a skinny stick. This is, should be really light for you. Are you on the pink weights? You need to get to the blue ones. A little bit better. I don't, we need to get in the gym. Gym days, hashtag gym days, like, right? I don't think they're offering advice to Moses like that about his physical fitness or counseling him or saying what he needed to do better. They just encouraged him. How? By lifting up his hands. By lifting up his hands. It was simple. If we lift it up, we win. If it falls, we lose. We don't have to criticize, analyze, or be a psychiatrist to understand encouragement lifts people. You don't have to have the cure. You just have to have a hand. Uh, my wife, she's the most amazing woman I know. Had five, we have five beautiful kids. Amazing, wonderful and I watched her each and every single time we had a child go through the most agonizing thing in human history, I believe. God bless you women, okay? It is amazing. In every single one of those births of my beautiful kids, I would always pull up a chair right next to her. Everybody else is focused on the child. I'm focused on her. And it's the most helpless situation I could ever be in as a husband and as a father because there's nothing I can do to stop the pain. 
There's nothing I can do to help her through it. There's nothing that I can do. It is the most powerless position possible. And so I figured out, I pull up a chair next to her. I hold her hand. And here's what I whisper to her. You're doing great. Keep going. I'm so proud of you. It's almost over. The joy is going to come in the morning. The light is at the end of the tunnel. Keep going. Keep pushing. Keep going. Joy is here. How many know we need people to just take our hand and say the light is coming? We just need people to say the light is coming. Those are friends. Friends don't just offer advice. They know when to offer advice and when to lift up the heaviness of life. I love how Henry Nouwen, a great writer and author, says it this way. When we honestly ask ourselves which persons in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving much advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a gentle and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair and confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. That's just the truth. And listen, if you want to be a godly friend, you don't have to lift the world off of them. You just got to be willing to shoulder it under there with them and go, hey, you're carrying it by yourself? I'll get this burden with you. I got this. I got this. You don't have to be a counselor, a psychiatrist, a pastor, a priest to be encouraging. You just have to be willing to lift up someone's hands. Listen to me. When they have no strength to lift up their hands to praise God. And I'm out there all the time on Sundays and our prayer partners come up here and you know what they do? You know what we do? All we do is when people are lacking faith, we just step in and we have faith where they can't have faith. We intercede and say, your arms are tired. I got your arms. I got your arms. That's what a friend does. That's what a godly friend looks like. The third thing is this, and here's where we close this morning, is a friend fights for you and with you. A friend fights for you. Yeah, we love that. But guess what? A friend fights with you. The text clearly says that on the mountaintop, Moses was stretching out his arms And Aaron and her were on the other sides of him, lifting up his arms. And I don't know what time they got there. Maybe they got there at 6 a.m. Maybe it was noon. Maybe it was afternoon-ish, you know. But it said his arms remained steady until sunset. Now, I can imagine that it was probably a long time that his arms were up. And I can imagine the fighting and the warring that was happening just holding up his arms. That Aaron is on one side and he's like, man, your arms are heavy right now, right? And hers on the other side going, man, this one's even heavier. Are you dominant right hand right now or left hand? Right? I can imagine that they're lifting it up and they're fighting for him going, Moses, I know you want to quit, but I'm not letting you quit. 
and they're lifting it up. And I can imagine Moses all day after hour three, four, five, and six, he's going, just let my arms fall. We'll be okay. God's got us. He, he, he let us cross the Red Sea. He'll handle this. He doesn't need my arms. And now he wants to let go. And now they have to fight with him to keep his arms up. You see, a friend just doesn't fight for you. A friend will fight with you and say, I love you, but your perspective is way off right now. That's hard to hear at times. It's so hard to hear when, when somebody's going, one of my friends is picking up my hands going, I'm praying with you, I'm praying for you, but can I be a friend to you? That's always the line we use. Can I be a friend to you? Please, your perspective's wrong. Why was that important? Because he labeled what he was about to become in my life and what he is in my life. And it gave, and by me saying yes, it gave him permission to speak into me. A cup cannot be poured into where the lid is on. And so by me going, you're a friend, it took the lid off and he was able to say, I love you so much to speak the truth to you. Listen to me, because friends are willing to harm you now to keep you from wounds later. Friends are willing to harm you now to keep you from wounds later. It's what Proverbs 27 speaks of. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses from an enemy. People will ta-ta you all you want. Those aren't your friends. People will give you what you want to hear, but only a friend will speak the truth to love you, to war for you, and to war with you. And biblical loyalty is committed to a person's needs, not just a person wants. Because God knew what we needed. We needed a savior. Can I be honest with you? I didn't want a savior. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to be what I wanted to be. I wanted to, to do what I wanted to do and to see how I wanted to see and speak how I wanted to speak. But God loved me so much to say, it's not about what you want, it's about what you need and you need a savior. You need a savior, even when you think you don't. And the interesting part about what biblical friendship does is listen to this. It helps us finish. Finish what, Pastor Chris? Finish the season that you're in? Finish the assignment that you're on? To finish. Because though I love relationships with my friends, I've had different friends in different seasons of my life that have helped get me to a point where I couldn't have gotten to by myself. And then they fall off. And then we're going, what? I need more friends. I, where did that friend go? No, no, no. God used him for a season. And then there's another season. But I need it to finish. We need it to finish. I love watching the Winter Olympics right now. And I love watching the competitiveness and the craziness of monobob, whatever that is. The craziness of skeleton. If you have to name a sport skeleton, you should not do it. Just make it a statement. And here in South Louisiana, we don't understand sliding on your face with ice. That's just weird to us. But I love watching the competitiveness. 
And it reminded me of a story of the Summer Olympics in 1992, where a British sprinter by the name of Derek Redman took off in the semifinals to run the 400 meter sprint. And he is running on the back stretch and all of a sudden, his hamstring blows out and he goes falling to his face. 62,000 fans went silent. And he's there laying on the, on the, on the track and he kind of starts crawling and limping and falls back on his face. He wanted to finish. And he's clawing and scraping by himself, trying to get to the finish line, no matter what it cost him. And all of a sudden out of the stands, someone comes running up to him, picks him up, throws him over his shoulder and they begin jogging in together. 62,000 fans stood to their feet and erupted for the next two minutes as Derek crossed the finish line. Not by himself, but with someone carrying him. That person was his father who came out of the stands when his son was on his face and picked him up when he needed him the most. And the story goes that as he was carrying his son to the finish line, his son is bawling, crying. He worked all his life to cross the finish line. And his dad the whole time was whispering to him, you're a champion. You don't have to prove anything. His dad picked him up and was willing to walk with him, lifted him in the heaviness of life, encouraged him and said, you're a champion. You don't have to prove anything. And he fought for his son to cross that finish line. I'm so thankful that I have friends in my life that will carry me across the finish line even when I don't want to. Because you know the glory of it all? Is when we get to the finish line, it's not about the medal or, or what we win. It's the blessing that God pours out upon us for finishing. In 2003, when my team chaplain my mentor picked me up off the ground after I felt like I was going to run from my faith. I look back now and I finished and he carried me to the finish line. And can I just tell you, I wouldn't be a pastor probably today if he didn't say, you're not going to quit. And the blessings that came afterwards are immeasurable. Because that next year in 2004, in walks this beautiful young lady named Michelle to be on staff at Fellowship of Christian Athletes. A few years later, she becomes my wife. In 15 years last week, and five kids later, we're still together. Why do I say that? because I want you to see that we need friends so we don't quit. 
You've heard Pastor Jacob say it a million times. Hey, we win if we don't quit, but we need people to walk with us so we don't quit. And listen to me. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. When you have fallen flat on your face, when I have fallen flat on my face, God rushed out of the stands of heaven and he picked us up. And as he walked us to the finish line, he whispered to us, you don't have to prove anything. My son has already taken it all for you. We have this treasure in earthen, broken vessels. Earthen, broken vessels. Even God knew he had to put it in Jesus in order for us to get it. Because listen to me here, don't miss this. And here's where we're closing. Relationships aren't just a part of Christianity. They are the point of Christianity. Relationships aren't just a part of something that we do as Christians. They are the absolute point of what we do because God stepped out of heaven and sent his son not so he could give us rules and regulations, not so we could sit in church for an hour a week, not so we could sit in circles and talk about the Bible. All those things are awesome. He did it so he could reestablish a relationship with us and a relationship with one another that will extend beyond this life and into eternity. Into eternity. And we have to start somewhere. For many of you, it's to be a friend. And you made in your heart of hearts, I believe the Lord has probably put conviction, not condemnation, conviction on your heart to go, man, I, I could always be a better friend. I know I could be a better friend. But also the Lord has put it on my heart as well, and maybe yours that, and I need to get rid of some friends. <laughs> or I need to find more godly friends. That's our prayer. But for some of you, it's just to start a relationship with Jesus. Notice I didn't say join a church or religion or to become Protestant or Catholic. I'm not in the business of converting people. Hear me. I'm not in the business of converting people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Not my job. I don't convert people. I just introduce them to the one who will transform your life. And his name is Jesus. So Father, this morning, we thank you for this word. Thank you that you're here now, Lord. I pray, Lord, I just pray. I just sense the spirit here. I pray for a healing touch right now, God, on all those relationships that have been broken, Lord. You're bringing to mind even right now, and even people watching online or listening on podcasts, you're bringing to mind those relationships that they've been hurt, Lord. They have scars from right now. Friends they've had scars from. Friends they feel like they're still battling, Lord. I pray lift their heaviness right now, God. Heal, send your healing touch upon them, Lord. And I pray over those that go, I need a, I need a godly relationship, God, a godly friend. I pray divine attachment would begin to happen, God. Divine attachment where there is shared purpose, shared vision, shared values of walking to Jesus and growing with Jesus and helping 
spur one another on to continue to finish the race of faith, God. And even as we start this small group semester in the next few weeks, Lord, I pray you give us boldness and courage to step into something where it could be nerve-wracking, God. But we know you want us to have what we need because relationships, Lord, are what you came to do. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, maybe you're in here and you just need to start a relationship with Jesus. It's called being born again. There's nothing fancy about it. There's nothing mystical about it. It's committing to walking with Jesus, not in perfection, but in direction. To throw off your old life and to say, I want all of Jesus. His ways are my ways. His thoughts, I want to be my thoughts. And you begin a relationship over time and you grow closer to him. But it has to start somewhere. And today, I want to help you with that starting point. It's called being born again. It only happens once, just like you're physically born once. You're only born spiritually one time. Maybe you've been coming to church a lot for the whole your whole life. Maybe you've gone to Sunday school. Maybe you've gotten baptized or, or you've joined the church. Those are all great things, but that's not what it means to be born again. To be born again means you commit to a relationship. It's like your wedding day where you commit to a covenant to walk together forever. This is that moment you can do that with Jesus to become born again. How do I do that, Pastor Chris? It's as simple as A, B, C. A, we just admit we're sinners in need of a savior. We're all broken. We're all jars of clay in earthen vessels. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover your past, present, and future sins, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven. Now he is King Jesus, Lord over all. And C, we confess him as our savior. He saved us. He saved me. But he's not just a savior. He's Lord. He's boss over my whole life, over all my relationships, my finances, my kids, my marriage, my job, every aspect he wants. I want to give you that opportunity to be born again, to give your life away, to start a relationship with Jesus, to become born again. And in just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you go, that's me, Pastor Chris. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, pray for me we're all going to pray. We're going to, I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to pray together, but it's not the prayer that saves you or makes you born again. The Bible says it's your faith in Jesus that saves you and makes you born again. And so if that's you in here on the count of three, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, with no hesitation, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. One, God brought you here for a reason. It's not an accident. Since the beginning of time, he knew you'd be right here right now. Two, he's calling you home. He's calling you to begin today. Lay down who you are and pick up who he is. Three, I want you to raise your hand now. If that's you, raise it high. Wave it at me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Awesome. 15, 16. Wonderful. 17. Wonderful. You can put your hands down. If you raised it once, you don't ever have to raise it again. It's the glory of God. Jesus only died once. He didn't have to die multiple times. 
So if that's you in here and you go, I should have raised my hand. Last 10 seconds is for you. You want to join those 17? I want you to raise your hand now. Wave it at me if that's you. Anyone else? 18. Awesome. 18. I see you. Wonderful. 19. Wonderful. Well, church, with all those hands that were raised this morning, let's say this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, everybody.